0: Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message.
1: If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to continue in our series in Genesis, and we're in a very... Very important passage, and I definitely want to camp out here for a bit today. And the title of today's message is called, The Institution That Provides for Society's Survival. And that institution will be marriage. And what you're going to see from this, and from all the implications in this, this passage, that as, as he was creating the nation of Israel, as Moses is writing this down from God that it is creating the bedrock of a society, and this institution is for their survival. They have to get this right. This one institution has to be the foundation of their nation. And that's what was the message to Israel. It is the message for us today. As we see our nation decline, you can trace it all the way back to the nuclear family. You can trace it all the way back to a mom and a dad raising kids. And when you upset that that system, that institution, your society will decline. Your society will go down the tubes if you mess this one up. It's a simple understanding. But if it is not done like it's not being today, watch what happens to that society. Look at Europe. They don't get married. They don't have kids. And their society is plummeting. And what's happening now, that same trend that started in Europe is starting in America. When the Supreme Court ruled against biblical marriage and said, you can marry anything you want. You want a gay marriage, lesbian marriage, and now whatever marriage now is on, on the books. When that started happening, Pandora's box got opened here in America. And it's been a downhill slide ever since. And watch what happens to the rest of our society as this continues but interesting enough this institution was so important by god that he actually put a death penalty in israel for adultery because he wanted to show israel that you cannot mess this up and if you do if you commit adultery israel you will have a death penalty t- death penalty attached to it that's how important he wanted them to understand marriage was. Because if they took it lightly, their society would crumble. And so that's what he was doing. It was creating this society. It created the, the raising of children. It created a proper environment for that. It created an environment for proper sexual relations, that sexual relations would happen within the confines of a marriage. And if it doesn't, your society will degenerate. And that's exactly what we're seeing. It establishes the authority in the home and later on in the future to the church, but it also established authority in Israel. Who's in charge? What you see in this institution is that there's an authority. And eventually that authority will be expanded into their society and Israel will have to learn proper authority. What's happening now? People don't want to obey authority. They don't like the authority structure that God puts in place, and so they're turning it over. And when you do that, it destroys the nuclear family. We'll talk more about that. Eventually, this would go into Israel's educational system. The proper education for the child and child-rearing would come from this nuclear family. But this nuclear family would have to have order. And if that nuclear family had order, again, it didn't guarantee, but it increased the statistics that the kids would come out as God-fearers. Again, not a guarantee, but if you want a, a high percentage of kids to follow God, you had to have the right familial structure in place. We'll talk about all these implications as we get into the text. But understand this. What's happening here on on a bigger scale, and you have to see this, God has created the environment for Adam and Eve, okay? He's filled it with the things that need to be filled, the animals, the trees, the vegetation, and now he's created Adam at this point in time. And what God is doing as he creates reality, he then will overlay that reality with values. And that's what you're starting to see is Values being overlaid on that reality. And it'll be the structure of reality. Now, here's the deal. If you don't overlay your reality with those biblical values, you will overlay it with something else, another set of values. And if you do that, you will create a non-reality. You will create a reality that will destroy you. You will create a reality that brings death, to your society, nation, culture, whatever you want to say, community. So God is teaching Israel to overlay on any situation, on any reality, his values, and they will give life. So we're seeing this, even in our own country, that these Judeo-Christian values that everyone knows about is now being removed from reality, and they're overlaying another value system on reality, and look how it's going. It's creating problems, isn't it? Let's get into the text. Let's see the overlaying values that God wants on the institution of marriage for society. We start in verse 18, chapter 2. And the Lord God said, it is not good. Let's explain what that means. When he says it's not good, he is just told us in Genesis 1 and preceding passages in Genesis 2 that he creates and it's good and he'll say it's very good. When he says it's not good, what it's indicating is that God determines right and wrong. He determines what's good, what's not. So it is showing you that he has the authority to determine that, okay? But what he's saying here is this, that, that there's something about man that is not good. There's nothing intrinsic in man that's lacking because God created perfectly, okay? So it's not something intrinsic in Adam. There's not something missing in him per se. What is missing is someone to help him fulfill what we call the dominion mandate. That is the context of chapter 2 is the outlay of the dominion mandate. And we talked about that in previous passages and previous sermons. We'll get more into that in just a bit. But Adam needs somebody at his level to help him carry out the dominion mandate. So it's not that Adam's lonely or anything like that, because it'll say, and it's not good that man should be alone. It doesn't mean that Adam is lonely because he has perfect fellowship with God. So he's not lonely. He can interface with God right there in the garden. It's it's more in terms of function. That's what the Scriptures are trying to get at. It's in terms of function. He can't compete or complete a role that God has given him called the dominion mandate without this helper, without someone else to help him. He can't do it in isolation to carry out the tasks that he needs to carry out. So what does God say? I... Notice the divine singular. The divine singular now is being used. In previous passages, it'll say, let us create man in our image. And it'll say, created male and female, indicating the plurality of, of the Godhead, obviously, indicating that male and female will be counterparts, plurality and unity. But then in this situation, because Adam's alone, it, the divine singular is used, to indicate he's alone in the task. And so God is going to have to rectify the situation. He says, I will make him a helper. Now, your English doesn't do a good job of translating the Hebrew. Our English word helper means that some second-class citizen, some type of servant or something like that. And that's not what the Hebrew is trying to say. The Hebrew is trying to say, I'm going to create a partner. And it patterns off the Trinity. The Trinity partners together to complete the plan and purposes of God. And as you know, no one is less than in the Trinity. All are co-equal, co-eternal, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But all of three of them, all three identities in the Godhead, have different tasks to do. And because they have different tasks to do, that doesn't make them less than. And so the idea of a helper is seen in the idea of the Trinity, of the the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit doing different tasks as the Godhead. And he that it says, comparable to him. The Hebrew in this means in front of him, or like the idea of in full view of him. And the way you translate this is that God is going to create another being to help Adam that corresponds to him, that he can fully see. It won't be invisible. It'll be in front of him, and it will be like himself. And the key word is this, the helper will be another imager. And we learned about what an imager is, that we're made in the image of God, and we, we looked at that in past sermons of what an imager is. Well, this is the idea that this helper, this partner, will be another imager, that corresponds to Adam. And we know it's a female, and she will correspond to him in her humanness, but also as an image-bearer as well. And it signals to you and I that this female that he's about to create is of the same value because of being an imager. She's not less than. If you look in all the false religions, Islam, For instance, look how they value women. They put them in black potato sacks and march them around. They won't even let them drive. In fact, Saudi Arabia lets a robot woman drive before they even let the human women drive. In Saudi Arabia, in in many Muslim countries, the women can't even look up. They have to keep their eyes down. It's a religion that teaches that women are second-class citizens that have no value. And you look at even a modern day cult like Mormonism. Look how they treat their women. Do you know a Mormon woman? Her, her salvation is based on her husband giving her a secret name. And that when she dies, she will be resurrected by her husband calling her from the grave. That's what Mormons believe. It's insane, isn't it? Interesting enough, the Islam, uh, an Islamic version in America is Mormonism. They, they parallel in theology like you, you can't believe it's weird how Mormonism matches Islam in many respects. Nonetheless, in Mormonism, the cult of Mormonism, women are second-class citizens. In fact, Mormon women lead in suicides because they can't take it. How would you like to be married to someone who thinks they're going to become a god? And how would you like to be married to a man who said that your just salvation depends? On him. Oh, that's the same in Islam too, by the way, ladies. In Islam, their salvation depends on the man or the male in the home. And the only way of salvation a woman can bypass their male counterparts is by blowing themselves up. That's the only way they can bypass it and guarantee their salvation. Their salvation, like Mormon women, is dependent on the man. I give you that as an illustration of that's diametrically opposed to what the Scriptures are, are, are showing us, that this, this female counterpart to Adam will be of the same value, nothing less. And God is making that point. It was the Hebrew culture that elevated women. It was the Christian culture that elevated women. If you look in the Gospels, you will see the elevation of women. Jesus recognized the value of them. He didn't consider them second-class citizens because the Scriptures didn't because that's not how the divine command was there. It, it taught they are of equal value. Okay, that being the case, what is this helper supposed to do? What What are the things that, that this counterpart will do to help Adam? Because it's not that Adam lacks anything. He needs someone else to help him with the task. Well, the task is the dominion mandate. And just real quick, just to give you a synopsis of the dominion mandate, we've studied that. It has to do with being fruitful and multiply and having babies. Obviously, you have to have a counterpart for that because Adam can't just produce babies by himself. So you have to have a female for that. It's to fill the earth and spread out, create nations. It's to subdue the earth for survival, have countries and nations and individuals and harness the natural resources of the planet to better humanity. It's to exercise dominion over the earth and the animals. The animals are not over us. We're over the animals. And then to serve God, obey and guard the commands, guard the garden from evil. And that's a synopsis of the dominion mandate. And we looked at that in prior passages, so I'm not going to belabor that. But I'm going to tell you this. That task of the dominion mandate, as simple as it seems, is under attack today. Well, as far as, even look at, look at the dominion over the earth and the animals. What are they trying to do with animals? Put them on par with us. Put trees on par with us, right? We're supposed to let things go and let it go to its natural thing and, and let this, the forest be like they are and let them overgrow so that when lightning strikes, the forest can catch fire and destroy homes like they did in California. Because they don't want us going out there and cleaning the forest up of the debris. That goes against the Dominion Man. That's exactly what we should be doing, is tending the garden, making sure the garden doesn't get out of hand. Right? I mean, just simple things like that. But now the new thing now: be fruitful and multiply. Have babies. Marry to have children. It's one of the reasons, the main reasons for a marriage because of procreation. That's under attack today, is it not? How can two men produce a baby? They can't. How can two women produce a baby? They can't. Now, yes, there's all this scientific stuff, like in vitro and all this other stuff, but naturally they can't. And even now today, people are rather cohabit and live together rather than get married and have babies. That's illustrated in Europe. This is under attack. So now the new movement, if you haven't heard, its called Baby Strike. Have you heard this new movement? People are striking against having babies. Again, this is catching waves all over the place. This is the new move. AOC says that we should question whether we want to have babies or not. Let me show you this video, how crazy this is. Roll that. The natural world is collapsing around us and that's actually happening right now. i basically, last year I came to the decision that I couldn't bring a child into that. There's scientific consensus. That the lives of children are going to be very difficult, and it does lead, I think, young people to have a legitimate question. Is it okay to still have children? I don't want to do it.
2: it. You You can't can't make me. me. That's true. It isn't okay. Friends, we have enough humans on the planet. We don't need any more humans. It is not okay for women to have babies and stop contributing to the process under the pretense that they're doing a good thing by staying home and raising children. We don't need children. If you find yourself pregnant, there are options, and you can have an abortion. No babies. Cut off the baby factors. We have 7.5 billion, with a B, humans on the planet. That's too much. The actual ideal amount seems to be under one billion, under one billion. We have 7.5 billion, no babies. Women who have babies and stay home to raise them should not be viewed as doing a good thing. That's not a good thing. It's completely not what the situation calls for at all. I'm sorry. Find another way to contribute and be valued. That's not a good way. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> if I couldn't stop laughing watching those two do that. By the way, that's, the, that's, that's actually went viral, by the way. That that's went viral, the, these, these Looney Tunes right there. Now, the reason I'm showing you the Looney Tunes, and I can't figure out why she kept doing that. She's like, <laughs> that's true. That's all she would do. That's true. It's insane. But believe it or not, I show you that because that thing went viral. It's part of the baby strike movement that they're telling people not to have babies. And uh, it's, it's funny in one sense because I couldn't stop laughing when I saw that. But it's true because they're pushing this. There's a lot of people that believe this. And they're stopping. They're not going to have babies anymore. And they're listening to Alexandria Ocasio, or, or Occasional Cortex, is what really her name is. And really, they're telling people you shouldn't have babies. But what does the Dominion mandate say? Be fruitful and multiply. They're going right against that. And so we're seeing an overturn in our culture of this. And people believe the nut jobs up there. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, that, that's got to be demon possessed stuff, man. That's off the chart, man. But think about this. If you follow that advice, which a lot of people are doing, especially the younger people, they're not getting married. They're not having babies. They're actually following this advice. They're thinking, well, we're over, overpopulating the planet. We're overcrowding. We're causing pollution. We're a cancer to, to our planet. If you do that, your society will deconstruct. It will, it will decline. It will go down the tubes. And that's what we're seeing. We're having a societal breakdown on people just simply not following the Dominion mandate. Now, here's the deal: the Dominion mandate is not like a Christian thing; it's just a human thing. When you're in when you when you're in Genesis, these are just what humans should be doing. And if you don't do it as a human, you die. Your society will die. And 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 so. There is. There's the overlay of the values. Now watch. He gives more values, more overlay of reality. Start, let's go in, uh, to verse 9. And it says this, Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam. Now notice this. Out of the ground is a reference to where Adam came from as well. He's out of the ground like the animals. Same substance, okay? And then God brings them to Adam, sovereignly brings these animals to Adam to see what he would call them. Bingo, value, right there. What do you mean? In the Hebrew culture, in the Hebrew way of understanding Scripture, when you read your Scriptures, when an individual is is given a name, it indicates that the, the individual is superior. So naming an individual in the Hebrew culture indicates superiority, that you will name him this. Now, remember with... With Mary, the angel told her what to name Yeshua. You will name him Yeshua. Why? Because the higher authority, the Father had given him, them the name. We, they weren't going to let Mary name the Messiah. The Father would. But so you'll see this in the biblical text that anyone that takes part in naming somebody has, get this, headship, authority, authority. The one in charge. Notice that Adam is going to name the animals, right? And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So it's, again, showing the authority that Adam had. And so Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. Now, this is amazing. And I want you to think about this. Adam, at this point, has not fallen. He is absolutely brilliant. He's using 100% of his brain do you know today we only use 3% of our brain? Adam's using 100%. You might say, well, I know people that only use 1% of their brain, Brandon. I don't know. I don't know about that 3%. But Adam had a full capacity of his brain power. So in estimation, they say this, well, this is impossible for a human to do. Not with 100% brain capacity. Forget that. IQ 150, let's say, from someone who uses 3% of their brain, his IQ must have been astronomical, off the charts. And so what he does is he starts naming every animal that God brings to him. They estimate if Adam named the animals, let's say 10 10 animals per minute as God's bringing them to him, and within five hours... He could have named 3,000 animals in just five hours just by simply looking at them, describing them. And we do know it indicates language. He names them. And you think, well, what language was it? Well, we know this. It's Hebrew. Hebrew is the original language. How do we know that? Because prior to the Tower of Babel, all the names are in Hebrew. Everything is in Hebrew. Hebrew. And so it indicates to us that the original language is Hebrew. The language you will speak in heaven is Hebrew. That is the original language. Now, the language that we speak now, whether it's English, Greek, French, whatever, came from a derivative of the Tower of Babel. But eventually we will come back to the original language, which will be Hebrew. That's a kind of an aside. But it says this, But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. Why did God do that? Now, God already knows what he's going to do. He's going to create a, a helper that's comparable to him. But why why send him all the animals to take a look at them, name them, and show Adam that you can't find a helper out of them? Several reasons. Number one, he's showing Adam correspondence, that these animals are not the same as you. Some may, may be similar to you, but they're not you. And the second thing is, I want you to appreciate and value what I'm about to give you. Because as you can see, out of the thousands and thousands of animals I paraded before you, I'm going to have to do a special creation for you, and I'm going to give you this as a gift. You must appreciate it. So it's interesting enough, sometimes God will let us wait a little longer in our lives before he gives us something, because he says, I want you to appreciate it. Because if I gave it to you now, you wouldn't appreciate it. And sometimes he makes us wait. So he makes Adam wait through this and go through this whole process for simply value and appreciation. Verse 21, and the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. This is interesting. It's the same sleep he did with Abraham when he made the Abrahamic covenant and he put Abraham to sleep. It's the same sleep. That he gave to Jacob when Jacob had his dream and he saw the, the Jacob's ladder with angels descending and ascending upon it. It's kind of a Hebrew way of saying that God rendered him incapable of doing anything, puts him asleep so that he does have, he has no part in it and that God's going to do the whole thing. That's the, that's the message when God puts people to sleep like that. That it's a God thing. Only God could do this which flies in the face of Darwinian evolution, that man evolved and became a biped individual. It's totally against that. It says, I'm doing a special creation with her, and I'm putting you down to do it. Now, this sleep is for Adam to not feel any pain, obviously, and anesthetized him. And he puts him down. He's going to do something. And it says, and he slept... And he took one of the ribs, and I, I wish your English didn't translate it that way. That's a mistake. This is one of, the, one of the only passages that the word zella is translated rib. It should not be rib. It should be side. Zella means side predominantly, and I think I put it up there for you. And what that means is interesting about this, this. This word side. He's she's going to come out of his side. It's the same word that's used for the temple, the sides of the temple. It's the same word for the side of the Ark of the Covenant or for the side of a building. But it gives the idea, and this is what you have to get out of this, that this imager is of the same substance as him. She's not of a different substance She's of the same substance. Now, I know a lot of preachers will romanticize this and say, well, she wasn't created out of his head to rule over him. She wasn't created out of his feet to be ruled or trampled on him. She was created out of his side to be loved by him. Well, that's that's great, and that's romantic. And you say that at a wedding, usually, and it seems romantic, but the Hebrew is trying to tell you something fundamentally different than romance. It has to do that she is the same substance. She comes from his side. And that side includes flesh, blood, bone. It's not just a rib. And it includes the same substance that he's made out of, blood especially. Okay? Verse 22, it says, Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. This is a special creation. But notice the word made doesn't mean ex nihilo or out of nothing. It means he formed it with previously existing substance that came from Adam. He formed her from Adam. Adam is actually formed from the ground. She's formed from Adam. There's a value in that, and I don't want you to miss this. The value is that she is created out of Adam, again, signaling headship. Okay? We already have headship with Adam because he's naming things, and he's going to name her, by the way, signaling headship. But the fact that she's created out of his sight is also signaling headship, headship. Again, God's overlaying value on this whole thing. And basically, uh, it says, um, and he brought her to the man. Notice that, he, that God did this. He brought her to him. It is a gift. She is a gift to Adam. It is an act of grace. But this idea here is what I want you to see is the first marriage. And the first marriage is performed by God alone. Amazing. This, guys, makes marriage between a man and a woman sacred. It is not simply a piece of paper. As our culture tries to teach... No-fault divorce. When God does the first marriage, he is putting the holiness around it and saying, I'm creating a sacred institution. If you mess this one up, all sacredness goes out the door. All holiness goes out the door, and you will ruin your life. You will ruin your culture and society and nation." That's how much God values marriage. Now, put that in terms with the no-fault divorce thing. Well, if I don't like my mate, if I don't like her, I'll just get a divorce. You can't do that. That's why Messiah, when he was here, they asked him about marriage because they were doing no-fault divorces in Israel like no tomorrow. I mean, the rabbis had things that if the woman burnt the mill, he could divorce her for for burning the mill. How would you like to be under that pressure, ladies? Oh, my goodness. And so it was just serial monogamy happening. And basically, Jesus turns that upside down and basically is referring back to creation. As it was, he goes, in the beginning, it was not so. And then he references this passage. But then he says this except for marital unfaithfulness or adultery, and basically the other one is death. If you divorce for this reason, for any other reason other than marital unfaithfulness or death, you've committed adultery. Now, our culture doesn't like me saying that. They don't like Jesus saying that, because that captures a lot of folks. And if that's happened to you, God's grace and mercy is there for you, no doubt about it. Don't worry about that. As, as far as you, if you brought that before the Lord and repented and asked for forgiveness, you're clean at that point in, in in that stance because it's happened. And I get it. People marry knuckleheads. I get it. They do it all the time. They're not thinking when they get married. They're 19, 20 years old. They don't know what they're getting into, and it gets weighing over their head fast. They don't realize what's happened, and it gets bad. I get it. And there's plenty of grace and mercy for that. But as you all know, this is the ideal. This is the ideal, and we're all shooting for the ideal. We don't want our kids to go through divorce, right? We don't want them to experience some of the heartache that we have experienced going through that. It's a nightmare, right? And that's what God is trying to say. You must see this institution as sacred. Therefore, any perversion of it takes away the sacredness. And the idea is that He's putting them together. He's bringing her to him because they're going to be bonded. And, and we will look at this next week. The two shall become one. They actually bond in a metaphysical way that you can't separate. The only thing that separates them would be a breaking of the covenant through adultery or through death. But other than that, that bond can't separate. And here's the mistake that a lot of people make. That bond includes physical bond, includes spiritual bonds, emotional bonds, and intellectual bonds. But you and I both know what's happening in our culture. People are bonding sexually before they're bonded mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. They're bonded already together, and they think it's love. They're only bonded physically. And they think, well, we should just continue to get married because we've bonded. That's, no, that's a false signal. That's a false signal because what they do is they bond physically and then they get into marriage and they realize, oh, i got to relate to this person intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, and I don't relate. And there's the problem. That's when the problems start happening. But nonetheless, this is the bond that God starts creating. So let's continue. Verse 23, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone, And flesh of my flesh. Now, this is interesting. This is covenantal Hebraic language. It is not just saying, you know, there's something random that Adam thought. This language is used by people who followed King David when he became king after Saul died. You can reference 2 Samuel chapter 5 verse 1. They'll tell King David, we are of your bone and flesh. It is a covenant that they made with David to follow David as king. It's a, it's a Hebraic way of saying this is now a covenant. Now, there's no doubt Adam is, is acknowledging she's of the same substance. She's of my flesh, bone, blood, all of that. There's no doubt about it, but it is made in covenantal language. What is the principle here? What is the value? Marriage, because it is sacred... Is considered by God a covenant, not a contract. And that flies in the face of our culture. See, our culture thinks that marriage is a contract. And the way a contract works is, I'll be nice to you if you're nice to me. If you're bad to me, I'll be bad to you. And the minute you continue to be bad to me, I will divorce you. That's contract. A biblical marriage is covenant. Let me ask you this question. The covenant that you and I are in, the new covenant. Can we do anything in our personal lives that would kick us out of the covenant, the new covenant, with Messiah? No. We call that eternal security, right? That I can act like an idiot, get myself in a mess, get out of fellowship, But I will never be kicked out of heaven because the covenant that God made is unilateral. It's on one side, and he says, I will do this for you. I will save you because of your faith, not your works, but your faith. And because you're saved, I will guarantee your salvation, regardless if you decide to act like a knucklehead the rest of your life. Oh, that's what we call eternal security. You can die out of fellowship? Yeah, you could die out of fellowship, and you still go to heaven because you're in the covenant. He promises to make it with you regardless of your actions. And your entrance point was faith in Messiah. The same is true for marriage. The way you're to relate to your mate is this. You can act like a knucklehead, but because I'm in a covenant with you, I will still agape you. I will still love you. I will still seek the best for you. I may not Philadelphia you. I may not like hanging out with you when you act like a knucklehead, but I will always agape you. And I cannot stop agape you. Even if you're my enemy, I will still agape you. I will seek the best for you. And this is what a lot of people don't get. They're doing the contract. You do good to me, I'll do good to you. You do bad to me, I'll do bad to you. And the covenant says, I will always do good to you, despite if you do bad to me. That's totally different. That's the biblical view of marriage. It's a hard pill to swallow because I can tell you this, when the disciples were asking Jesus about this, you know what their response was? Wow, it's better not to marry then. That's what they said. And Jesus came back and said, yeah, if you can do it, right? Everybody wants to try it, but the disciples caught it. They're like, no, yeah, you're, oh, we can't do that, man. That's, wow, whoa, it really put them on their heels, And it does put everyone on their heels. When you start putting it that way and you realize, oh, wow, death or adultery is the only thing that frees me from this. Yeah, you shouldn't tread too lightly at 19 thinking you're in love and you're going to live on love. Good luck. I'll see you in counseling when you're 35. (laughs) Right? Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm getting in the weeds on this one. Um, let's move on. And then he names her. She shall be called woman or Issa, because she was taken out of man. So he names her, and notice where she comes from. She comes out of him. She's an equal value, but the idea of naming her by Adam is showing headship of her. He is the head of her. And she's not, notice her, she's not made from the ground, she's made from him. And she's actually made for him. Now, this indicates several things, several implications, and here's where we want to go on the application. The headship of the family is obviously all over this place in the scripture. The headship and the fact that Adam is is created first, that she is made out of him, that he names her and she's a helper to complete the task of the dominion mandate, all indicate that Adam is the head of Eve, okay? But the same is true that if she is of equal value to him, right? So the two are countered, value but different role. That's what you have to keep in mind, what God is establishing. Marriage, in marriage, there must be a head. There must be an authority figure that's in charge, and they're, and they're co-equal but they have different roles. Now, that's easy to understand, and it seems simple, but I'm going to tell you this. This is the most messed up thing in people's marriages, hands down, whether it's unbelievers or believers. Yeah, believers can't get this one right. Guys, I'm going to shoot straight with you. It's number one problem in counseling. There's a lot of other issues. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of other issues that people are having in counseling. No, no doubt about it. The number one issue, headship. They can't get headship figured out. And you know what's happening? I'm going to tell you what the syndromes are. The first syndrome is the Eve syndrome. The second syndrome is the Adam syndrome. I'll get into more detail later on when we get into chapter three, but I'm going to tell you what it's, what it's about. The woman has the Eve syndrome, which means she desires his position as head. And she won't stop. He has the Adam syndrome, which is total passivity. Checked out. Not involved. I'm not my brother's keeper. And these two syndromes are a perfect storm. A complete perfect storm in a marriage. Now, a lot of people run their lives like that. And all you have to do, and you're not stupid. You look at people, and you know who wears the pants, right? You're seeing who's wearing the pants in the family, it's easy to tell. Just take them to dinner. You'll see who's wearing the pants. It's easy. They talk about it. Now, here's the deal. Why is the man being so passive when he, as you see in Scripture, has been given all the headship? Oh, because this. is a heavy responsibility, isn't it? Yeah. The Adam syndrome has to do with a guy who doesn't want to take his responsibility and lead the family. And you know what he's doing? He's bargaining with his wife. Yeah, that's really what's happening. What do you mean? He wants something from her, and the only way to get it from her is to let her have her way. And so he sits back there like Casper Milktoast, saying, anything you say, dear, happy wife, happy life. Have you heard that? long Longest makes her you happy. Your wife is out of control. He didn't care because you know what? He gets what he wants. She'll leave me alone. She won't pester me. She won't badger me. And then at night, I get to go to the bedroom too. So I'm bargaining with that. The Eve syndrome is, I'm in control of this place. He may think he's in control, but I'm in control. And I'm going to make all the decisions for this family because I don't trust men. Real deal stuff, man. I'm not making this stuff up. This is the Eve syndrome. It's the syndrome of every woman. It's the syndrome of every man. It plays itself out. And so she bargains as well. Give me your headship, and I'll let you live a peaceable life. And the bargain is made. They don't say it. They don't announce it. It's not spoken. But, boy, you see the transaction, don't you? Hey, buddy, if you want your life to be a living nightmare, then try to correct me. I dare you. I dare you to try to correct me. Let me add one more thing. When you have the Eve syndrome and the Adam syndrome in perfect harmony. Guess who takes an advantage of that? Satan. You know who he wants? You're already saved. He wants your kids. And if he can get you upside down in your family, he can twist those kids and they'll be as confused as a termite and a yo-yo because they'll look at mom and dad and what do the kids think? Who's in charge here? Don't think that the kids don't know who's in charge in the house. Do not think for a moment they know who to go to. If the kids always go to mom and never to dad, you got the problem. If the kids only respond to mom's discipline or mom whatever she says, you got the problem. Because the kids will be the identifier of what's going on. And if dad never plays a part in discipline, if he has he's checked out, if he makes he lets the woman lead spiritually the home. She's taking care of all the education. She's taking care of all, all the Christian education and how those kids are raised, where they go to church. If she's making every decision, they're upside down, guaranteed. And I say this because I see it all the time. And they think they're not. They think they're not. They think everything's hunky-dory. I mean, I'm going to tell you this. Satan will go right for it. And if the woman wants to lead, great, because that's who he dealt with with Eve, did he not? He went straight to Eve. Adam's sitting back passive, letting it all happen. She's taking the headship. Boom! She decides to tango with a malevolent creature that's far superior intellect than her, and she tries to take him on. And look what happened. Authority is a big deal in the spiritual realm, guys. I have dealt with demons. I have seen what happens to people. The interesting thing that I have seen with the demonic realm is they know authority. I find this curious. I'll give you an illustration, I'll end on this. There's a dispute that happened, and the book of Jude records this, and the dispute was over Moses' body. You remember that passage? They're fighting. Satan is wanting Moses' body for whatever reason. I'm not going to get into it, but he wants Moses' body. And God has to stop what Satan is about to do. Do you remember the scene? Michael is sent to Satan and says, stand down, basically. Stand down. And Michael doesn't even use his own authority because Satan's authority is higher than Michael's, by the way. And what does Michael have to do? He has to invoke a higher authority to tell Satan to stand down. Satan was the number one cherub. Michael is only an archangel. He's way below as far as authority is concerned. So Michael has to invoke a higher authority, and he says, Yahweh says for you to stand down. Leave the body alone. Let me ask you this question. What did Satan do? Did he say, no, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to listen to what God says. What did Satan do? He backed off. Now, I find that amazing. A malevolent creature like Satan who hates God, but yet obeys authority? I find that amazing. I find that amazing that the demonic realm even gets this one. And I find it amazing that even believers don't. People try to figure out, why are my kids going crazy? Why is my family so upside down? Why are we making all these crazy decisions? Well, it could be that someone's not taking their lead, doing what they're supposed to do, and someone's in a position that they shouldn't be in. And you have to check whether or not you have things right in your family. If not, things will go upside down quick. It's a lesson we all have to take away. And it's a lesson we all have to check guys that Adam syndromes in all of us, the passivity, just let things happen it's in all of us. Women, the Eve syndrome is in you too. You will desire for his position and that fight will happen until each of you decide to take the proper roles. That's what this is trying to teach. Stay in the roles and you will be protected. Choose my value system, God says, and you will have life. Choose another value system, and you will receive death.
0: Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.